Clay, as we record this episode of the Something Pretty podcast in 2023, the year of our Lord, mm. uh, I'm I'm reminded that we're sort of going through a a mini abortion debate that's going on, and like whether or not people can <laughs> sell between between you and you and me <laughs> off air. <laughs> we Preparation have, for our next show. <laughs> we, we play a very different opinions on the air, but off the air, we are lockstep in what we would do listen. I'll just give a pregnancy. teaser. I'll just get it to give a teaser and say you'll be very surprised what our opinions are. <laughs> That's the clip. Not what you'd expect. That's the clip. It gets on social. Um, <laughs> well, there's all the there's all this debate about uh, shipping abortion pills and like whether or not you can get them oh, over sure, the counter yeah. and stuff like that. But apparently, all you have to do is have some chamomile tea, like they say in this episode. Yeah, I don't know what the other thing was. Chamomile and something else. Yeah, is like I don't even know if it was chamomile. Was it chamomile? Uh, it was something I don't like think that. It was, it was something fairly Spicy. like a, a benign tea. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, it's it's the other ingredient, whatever that is. I don't know right. if it was code for bleach or something like that. But yeah, it's uh, you can obviously just with two ingredients. I guess you can end a pregnancy. So maybe it's all not for <laughs> not for not not for debating whether or not we need to ship the pills. Isn't that really? The lines. Isn't that really how it should be though? Because with only two ingredients, you can start a pregnancy. So it yeah. evens out. Makes, how, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the most beautiful thing you've ever said on a podcast called Something Pretty. We are here to talk about the next episode of Deadwood, which is called Complications, which I can't say. With, it's one of those words. It's now, if it's like as if one of the uh, episodes is called um, It's Ben, and I would have said, It's Ben. Complications <laughs> just makes me think of Avril Lavigne. Everything's so complicated for whatever oh, reason. Oh, okay. All Shows right. you my age, I guess, when, that, when that's what pops in my head. But we're talking about complications, and I have a little bit of trivia about the title. Right after we come mm-hmm. back, we'll play the music, we'll break it down. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. This is Complications, formerly known as Difficulties. It's episode five of the second season of Deadwood, directed by Greg Feinberg, written by Victoria Morrow. In this episode called Complications, Al Swearingen returns to the land of the living and finds an anxious Doherty, Cochran, and Burns hovering over him. You fucked me while I was out, he asks Doherty. Jari insists that Merrick run on the front page of the Pioneer, what appears to be a legal notice calling into question the legitimacy of Deadwood gold claims. Alma tells Trixie that she is pregnant. Miss Isernhausen seduces Adams at the Grand Central and claims that Garrett said she hired Al Swearingen to murder her husband. Walcott peruses the bills of sale for gold claims Tolver has bought from miners spooked into selling cheap. Leon interrupts to say that people are fucking riled. Finding Jari at the Bella Union inside a cashier's cage, the locals turn it over and fall upon Jerry. Seth Bullock arrives, firing into the ceiling to restore order. So, yeah, this is... um. The little bit of trivia about the episode or the, the sort of interesting thing is that uh, Milch generally doesn't really care about titles too much. There are some shows and some showrunners that like put a lot of thought into the, like, having a clever title for your episodes. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Deadwood has had episodes like Mr. Wu, Bullock Returns to the Camp, uh, right. Plague, Trial of Jack McCall. And Milch is apparently not super interested in whimsical titles or having the titles mean much of anything outside of what actually happens or is said in the episode. Although this one aired with the title Difficulties when it came out. 
And mm. on every subsequent re-release, it's been titled Complications instead. Well, the, they, they don't put the title on the show, right? Like, you don't see it like you do in Star Trek, right? No, they don't. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because it, if that's the case, who cares, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah, because I... Uh, that's the question. That, that's the question, I guess. Because right, right. if he for someone who doesn't care about the episode, it's interesting in this context where it doesn't really matter, he would yeah. change the title of the episode in that way. Well, I wonder uh, do you know if the titles start to get a little bit more thought put into them from here on out cuz I, I I learned from the Simpsons commentaries that it was kind of the advent of home video. <clears throat> That that uh, made the shows actually put effort into the names. Yeah, because in the Simpsons, like the early episodes are like Marge versus the monorail, or Lisa gets a pony. Right. Very very descriptive, but not uh, interesting. Because um, because you they never saw the the only people who saw the titles were the people working on the show. But once people started rewatching the shows, and uh, they were available to own. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, then it became a bit more uh, uh, crucial for them to think be about a little it. bit more. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um. I'm looking at the titles for the upcoming. They're mostly things that are said in the episode. Um, I would say 75 percent of them are probably quotes or lines from the episode. So I don't think sure. they get any more clever. But um, there's a slight difference between. I mean, because the the characters in this one sort of talk about. Uh, difficulties versus complications too like there's a the, the words kind of mean the same but they don't really mean the same at the same time right difficulties right. implies more of like there's a obvious negative to something and a complication is not so obviously a negative as much as it just means that there's going to be additional work that's put into something um, right and it's interesting he changed the title which is which is kind of a strange thing to do and um on an episode that is you know, the words are almost indistinguishable from each other. But this is complications where things get complicated. And there are some difficulties in the episode as well. But that's the old one, the un- the uncut, the un- the director's cut. So what did you think of this one? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I am, <clears throat> I don't know what's going on with the Bosch plot, uh-huh. Bosch and Sarah Paulson. Like, I, I, it just seems so tacked on to everything else. Yep. And, uh... I don't know. Like that's the only that's the only part of the episode that I could kind of do without. But I mean, I don't I don't know how it's going to pay off. Maybe it'll be great. Um, what's your understanding it, of what's happened so far with those two? Well, it's that she's she's gone to him basically because she's claiming she's afraid for her life because she thinks Alma's going to kill her, and that uh, she seems to be setting Alma up as uh, trying to frame her for killing uh, her husband, yep. killing Brom. Yep. And using um, Al to do it. Um, so, I mean, if I, I, I again, as I mentioned in previous episodes, I that that f- one scene with her a couple episodes ago made it seem like she had some ulterior motives from the beginning. Yep. And so, if that's ends up playing out that way, then okay, that'll be interesting. But just, I, I think it. I think it's just because I know. What, from what you've told me about the way Milch operates, it kind of just feels like something that he threw in there just to see where the track leads and may or may not pay off in a way that is valuable to the rest of the show. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit of a difficult spot. I can't remember what's been revealed about her at this point. Um, 
pretty much nothing. Okay. Uh, except that she's come here. She's come to Deadwood to teach the kid. And uh, I mean, after she gets fired, she has the, you know, she kind of is like, well, I have nowhere else to go. And she's like, I'll pay you to leave. And she's like, no, I don't want your money. Right. Yep. But I'll take it anyway. Yeah. I mean, so essentially what's happened is that she has seduced Adams and uh, what's it called? Put out a honey pot trap or whatever. Ah, yes. So she's she's fucked Adams and because he is going to be grateful for said fucking, um, she is using him to connect her with Swearingen at this point. So that's that's her that that's what she reveals in this episode, and that's what although we know about her to this point is that she she laid this trap. She is pretending to be sort of a a dame in need for Adams, and once Adams is ensnared in her uh, her ways then he's going to feel obligated to introduce her to Swearingen so that she can advance her motivations as to what she has at this point. I see. Um, okay. But that's pretty much all that's happened with them at this uh, at this juncture anyway. It took a little bit of time to get there, but um, as you're saying, she has been there since the start of the show in a somewhat different uh, way. It's It's unclear to me when the turn was decided because mm-hmm. the role she had originally – is clearly not very interesting and right there was almost no conflict with her at that point outside of sort of speaking back to Alma every once in a while so i don't mm. know if they were stalling for time or what they wanted to do with her but they eventually will decide to do something with her as they're starting to do now so okay yeah I, i'm 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 open to seeing where it goes but it's just it's just that the i think it's just because everything else seems so of a piece of of the way that the show has been set up to this point that this feels a little bit on the periphery, you know? Yep, yep. It picks up next episode, her story. Okay. So a lot, there's a lot more to say about her in the next episode. But um, just be happy Silas gets to feel a little booby. <laughs> Kisses her. <laughs> Kisses her. I, I, like, I like his sort of, uh, aw shucks, like flirty thing too he's just like can i get a change of clothes he's like oh i sleep anywhere i'm like a dog i can i can take it or leave it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's very, I, I like uh, adams i think he's kind of a funny character uh so in this one things are getting much more complicated al is woken up but i feel like this episode is the um you know some of one of the reviews from the deadwood bible just says that gestation is the narrative through line of this because it's saying that as a child as a baby grows in alma and refined sensibilities start to grow in Al, who sort of seems to have woken up as a little bit of a new man in the in some ways. Um, and Hearst's influence is starting to grow and metastasize, as they say in the review in the in the town. It's about um, the changes that are happening and the complications mm-hmm. with all those changes. And complications is obviously a word that's used in pregnancies a lot and things like that. But other than that, this is. Um, in terms of the second season, I think I'm remembering sort of why I always have a little bit more of a negative feeling towards the first half of the second season, which I don't really feel this way as we've been doing the podcast, is that it, t- it, takes, it takes a long time, a couple episodes to get to this point where in this episode, the things are starting to pay off in terms of mm. the, the like pot stirring that's been going on in the, in the plots. We had mentioned before, like a lot of the characters who are driving the action of this season have not really spoken to each other in right, season yeah. two it's it feels like you know seth and al have a couple conversations in this and it feels like they haven't talked in about 10 episodes for some reason 
Yeah. You know, I, I found, I found it to be very, um, very effective and they've done this before on the show. So they obviously know that it works. Excuse me. Um, but when Merrick puts the, uh, the notice up and, and the, everybody starts getting riled up and they start kind of showing you at a distance, uh, Johnny going to find Bullock and Bullock, you know, you're silently seeing Johnny tell Bullock what's going on. Then Bullock makes a move towards the saloon. Like they, they're really the good background. at that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like happening the in the background. Yeah. They're really good at, 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 um, showing those character movements in the background and, and using them to build tension, especially for those two who, who haven't, who, who you haven't seen together in a few episodes. So, um, <clears throat> with given what's going on in the foreground, uh, it is, it, it does really help to, to kind of build, build the suspense of, of what's going to happen. What are they going to do? What does Al need to talk to? What, what are Al and, uh, Seth going to talk about our, it's it's good it's good stuff yeah the um and they they do also cheat a little bit the way that like Christopher Nolan cheats where all that's going on and then underneath it is uh, <laughs> uh, you know the slow building drone yeah <laughs> <laughs> boom they don't do the boom unfortunately but they. <laughs> <laughs> they know the annoying frequency that they can put into something to make you uh, vomit why, if you're in the CIA or something. That's like that. why the Dark Knight is so tense. Yeah, it's not what people noise. are saying to each other. It's because <laughs> every scene has this like intense drone or like cha 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 cha. Yeah. And Commissioner Gordon's like, I don't know how to drive that car, and Batman's like, Well, I'll teach you how to cha 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 cha. Yeah. No. Hundred percent agreed. It's uh. It's the Havana syndrome or whatever. You just you put that right. frequency and people start vomiting all over the place. The and, brown and, note. Yeah. That's, <laughs> um, yeah. I, Seth and uh, Al speak to each other. It feels like it's, it hasn't been a while. I mean, obviously, Al wakes up in this episode, which is a big um, event for everyone involved. Everyone's very happy. He seems to have had a stroke of some degree, so he's not 100%. He can't move his arms fully. And his eye is all fucked up, <laughs> but he seems mentally there, although the dog is telling his underlings not to um, annoy him too much, which I, which is a runner I kind of like throughout the episode is that they're not supposed to be telling him things, but he, he has to be told and <laughs> they're very bad at telling him what the, the, what is going on out in the world. And so he has the sort of ending line to talk about, he's getting like secondhand information from morons or something all day. My, my favorite one, but I also think was a little bit, pushing it that too far was when Johnny comes in and starts like doing charades. Yeah. yeah because he was told there. not, he was told, Oh, is that why he's doing? I thought, cause he says, he says like, you told me not to talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, a, it, it, I think it's, I think it's Bullock's there and he's doing it because he's, yeah, he's told not to, not to say anything or not to bother Al. He yeah. tells, he tells him he's only supposed to say things that make him jolly at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, I mean, it was very funny, but it was like, it's just, you're really making Johnny out to look like a fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, because he, he has the other one where he's like, um, <laughs> it's, it, it's sort of obvious, but he's, Al gets upset with him. He's like, don't think, just answer the question I have. He's like, is the commissioner in Tolliver's building? And he says something like, the commissioner or Merrick? He says, Johnny, listen to me. <laughs> Who, where is the commissioner? Doc said only what would jolly you out. But I do believe Mr. Merrick might be in the fucking soup. 
you have got one yawning fucking chasm of a mouth on you. Fucking county commissioner made Mr. Merrick post notice. Titles of claims to be decided case by case. The county commissioner's in the camp. Yeah, and that hooplehead Steve's about to punch Merrick for posting the notice, and I know that you got a liking for Merrick. I want you to stop thinking now, Johnny, and only answer the question I'm going to ask you. Yes, sir. Where's the commissioner now? The commissioner or Mr. Merrick? The commissioner, Johnny. Where's the commissioner? He's at Bell Union. He, he moved over there. Jesus fucking Christ. Al's um, trying to get back on his feet and trying to catch up, and you you get a, a glimpse into the idea of why Milch thought the Swearingen couldn't be around for this kind of a thing. Like, is this mm-hmm. working for you that the, you know, the way Al is sort of written as a character is that he immediately puts these things back together, and he even, in his conversation with Bullock, when Bullock checks in, and Al says, I've been bedridden for like a week, and I still know more about what's going on than right, you do. Yeah. Um, is this working for you? Do you think Al is coming across as a little bit too effective of a character or is it just a effective building technique that they've done to get to this point of Al trying to put the pieces together now? I think it works. Um, <clears throat> cause you know, I, th- <laughs> I think they, uh, they fuck him up good enough that he, d- he doesn't just bounce back and immediately take on the situation. Like it's, it's clearly a struggle for him. Yeah. Which I think uh, is nice, but yeah, I think I think they effectively show how how taking him off the board uh, opens opens the town up. You know, it's one of those things where I'm. I guess you could kind of criticize it for like. Obviously, it shows how important Al is, but does it not also kind of uh, show how lackadaisically Seth is doing his job? Yeah. You know, because he's not really doing anything. Like he's he's there, but he hasn't really been doing much outside of his personal life in these episodes. <laughs> you got gall coming before me prettier than ever. Are you all right? I'm the fucking man. That's all to say on that. Why do you know this new commissioner? His notice on the claims has people pissed off. I wouldn't want the cocksucker harmed. I don't intend him any. Don't be fucking clever with me. He's allied with Tolliver. You aware of that? No. Bedridden, I know more than you. Point is, if their man's allied with Tolliver, fucking harm comes to him between the Hoopleheads and me, who yanked and put it on. You. <laughs> Do they understand how most of what happens is people being drunk and stupid and trying to find something else to blame besides that that makes their lives totally fucked? No, they don't. Yankton? Yankton. Exactly. They're too busy stealing to study human nature. Um, He's not really designed for that, I guess. You know, it's that's like, true. That's true. The, the thing that I like most about it is that um, it shows you, you know, in the first season, it was kind of this abstract idea about why Swearingen thought that Bullock was necessary to keep as sheriff in this town, you know? He plays it in dialogue as if he thinks that Bullock is going to do a good job for it and stuff like that. But it's really for these moments here where he's just he's trying he needs the law of the town to be on his side for moments like this when they come up, which is that he needs he needs to be able to trust Bullock and to be able to tell Bullock what to do. And at least if Bullock doesn't obey, at least there's like a conversation around what's going on. 
And it also highlights like why early in the second season before their fights and before Al got sick, Swearingen was so pissed off that Bullock was so into Alma at that point that it was like distracting him from what was going on in the town. Mm. And I think that they've paid they've paid off multiple hours of episodes here building to this point where you now understand why Swearingen needs Bullock to be on his side there because it's like it comes down to the once the the crowd gets riled up because of what Jari has done and they go to kill Jari at Tolliver's place. Al recognizes that they can't let Jari die because that'll come back on him badly because right. Yankton will blame him for what happened. And so he needs Bullock at that point to go and be able to protect Jerry. So I, I just think it's it's been a nice build towards that where things that weren't immediately obvious as to what this alliance is supposed to mean are now becoming more obvious. And to your point, it shows how like if Al isn't around, Bullock doesn't really have any sort of like 4D chess Right idea yeah. about what's going on. So he, he he needs to be told what the bigger game plan is to make him actually usable. And if Al's not around, he loses all of that and can be, you know, people can ru- put a run around on him easily. Yeah, he's not really a uh, social politicker. No, he's, he's so not even he's, a detective, really, as a right, cop. Yeah. You know? yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he's just, he's, you know, a, sh- a sheriff in the understanding of, of, of what an old Western sheriff is. Yeah, protection and enforcing things, basically. He's, he's the guy who has the right to have a gun and point it around at people. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm always, it's, I'm glad to see those two reunited at this point. I, I think that the swear, the Swearingen taking him off the board and bringing him back in this episode is pretty effective, honestly. Yeah. Like, I, I think it speaks well of the character that, like, with the limited information, you know, as people, as Johnny and stuff are telling him this stuff, he's putting the pieces together in his head as they're giving him the information about, like, you know, Jerry's been staying with Tolliver, and Tolliver is over there doing this, and he's buying mm-hmm. the gold claims, and. Um, Al puts it all together and is sort of racing against the clock to be able to fix whatever has been undone at this point. Um, but yeah, and outside of that, the Hearst, Tolliver, and Walcott plan is put into fruition uh, with the Jerry putting up of his posting, which uh, Merrick doesn't put in the newspaper, but instead hangs on the door to make to make it seem like it's more of a um, a protest from him. I think is the reason that he does that. So he ends up looking like Martin Luther or something like yeah. that. You know, it's it's what's funny about that is I was thinking, how many of these guys are going to stop and read that? That's a lot of text. Like I, I feel like it's is that is that more effective than if he were to put it in the paper, or I guess putting it. Like you're saying, putting it on the wall seems more like obviously like he's doing it out of protest. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't endorse does. it. Is my, is my yeah, take putting on the paper it. is is more complicit. Yeah, um, I just found it to be funny that there was such a big group of shit kickers around reading that thing. I'm like half these guys can't read this. They don't know what this says. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's just that if one of them reads it, they'll spread the word. Is the hope? Sure. And maybe maybe sure. they'd read a bulletin on the the board actually more than they'd read the paper. And it, you know, I, I don't know how many mm. of them actually well, read hey, the newspaper. Hofstadler writes his will on his chalkboard, so maybe they do. Yeah, he, he, he his, what does he call his like his idiot uh, sister or something? Like that. He, has, yeah. he calls her something <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, I mean, they the posting there is you know I, I see it as kind of a protest from Merrick, who is uh, rightfully. Um, in a sort of funny sequence where Jerry gives him the thing that he has to write up, he complains that it doesn't really say anything um, in very flowery language, but it doesn't say anything. It just says that 
the gold claims are to be respected unless there are some mitigating factors. It has some nice Milchian wordplay games where they keep arguing about what mitigating means. Yes. <laughs> like the, yeah. the people debating whether or not something can be mitigating and if that's good news or bad news. So it's, it's, uh, I like that scene. And the side comes out to sort of try to break up the mob and fails utterly <laughs> because he gets pissed off. Um, it, it, it's all building, all collapsing, and yeah. it, it all would have gone up in flames if not for Bullock being able to be there to stop it because Swearingen had told him to do so. Yeah, I like the Tolliver scene because he never misses an opportunity to sell. Yep. You know, sell people on stuff. And so he gives him the, the speech about like, yeah, I'm mad. You should be mad. You know how mad you should be? You should be so mad that you want to sell your claims to me. <laughs> <laughs> That'll show him. That'll show him. I like his bit before that. He's like, he's like, I read this paragraph as, as if nothing has changed. And the guy in drunk, the drunk Steve goes like, what about all that fucking mitigating bullshit? He's like, ah, yeah, that, par- that paragraph does say mitigate. <laughs> Reads to me they're inclining toward the present title holders. But then they start to fucking mitigate. Yeah, they do get to mitigating this last part here. I guess my question is, who of us here didn't know what government was before we came? Wasn't half our purpose coming to get shed of the cocksucker? And here it catches up to us again to do what's in its nature, to lie to us and confuse us and steal what we come to by toil and being lucky just once in our fucking lives. And we're going to be surprised by that, boys. Government being government. Will we next be shocked by rivers running or trees casting fucking shade? Look, I have said before, and I still fucking say, those of a mind, take a price on your claims. Get out from under uncertainty. And that's from no fucking goodness on my part. And no fucking charity either. I am past picking up again. This spot might be wrong, but here's where I'm making my stand. It's good fun. Um, you know, Sai, obviously Sai is trying to protect Jerry, although Sai is interesting because Sai is continuing. The other big development for Sai in this one is that he learns of Walcott's weaknesses uh, at the Chez Ami, and he learns oh, yeah. that he has a sort of predilection towards uh, beating women and being a big spender at the, the prostitute house. Um, so he, he also drops a sort of clever insult to Walcott later on when he says that not all of us can be as firm a foundation as you, like you've got the, you've got the firm foundation dug deep. You've got the excellent masonry. You've got a a solid structure and stuff like that. (laughs) Not all of us can be as not as not sick as you are. The commissioner meets his constituents. A man has to work some dogs to learn how the world's tail wags. Not coming to his aid, you mean to build his character? We all ain't sound like you, sir. Many could use some construction work. Fellas like yourself, that's hard to understand. Your foundation's sunk deep. Frameworks, first-rate mason work. Nothing unfinished in you or rotten or damaged. You're sick. But yeah, that's the, that's the other turn for size that he's learned that about Walcott. So what do you think about the... Walcott, Jerry, Cy Tolliver plan at this point to where it's gone or how it went in this one. Uh, yeah, I like I like where this stuff is going. Um, 
I, I do think that what the season's doing well is is building on. I th- so I think, and I know this is not fair because, you know, they don't need to tell you everything about everything, right? But I I think the the thing that throws me off about the the Adams stuff is that I can't see what this is building towards. Yep. Whereas with this stuff, even though they're only giving you like it, like it's kind of abstract. But every episode, they're kind of giving you a new piece, and that you, that they're putting on the board, uh, and it's for the making wall sense crew. for the you, wall card. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, so you you can, it's easy to see even if what they're talking about might be a little obtuse and oblique. Um, it's easy to see how it's building towards this uh, invasion, so to speak, uh, from uh, from from Hearst taking yep. everything over. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's the the big difference between the second and the first season is that it's it's a lot of t- it's a lot more talking about abstract yeah, ideas. A lot of talking in the season. Yeah. yeah. And um which I I like you know, that. I was going to say I wonder if maybe that's part of what didn't land the first time around when you watch season 2 cuz like season 1 is pretty dynamic as far as uh talking to action goes. Yes. And this they say something been, and they back it up with what they are physically going to do in a lot of cases. Right. And this season outside of like the first two episodes has been a lot of talking about stuff, which if you are if it's your first time through and you're used to the style of this first season can be probably be a little off-putting. Yep. Um but if you're into what they're talking about, yes. then it's great. And if you're familiar with it. Like I, I Right, that does help a lot. Yeah, I, I'm now familiar enough with the plot and you know, me and Amy, we've talked about it too, but me and Amy were just kind of laughing. It's like the, it really is the case that the Deadwood plot is not complicated. Like there, there's yeah, not, there's yeah. really not a, a lot of like, you know, in terms of the, there's not a lot of complications in terms of what the plot is telling you that's going on. There are character complications and things go wrong and things have to be changed and stuff for the characters. But the, ultimately the motivation is very simple and it can just be said in a sentence that like, Hearst is trying to come into town and take over all the gold claims and Al mm-hmm. and the others on the the side who have not allied with Dolliver and them are trying to stop that from happening. That's really honestly what's driving all the action right. this season. Right, yeah. Um, but it is a lot of the language is taking the forefront here and it's much more of a, um, it's less like of a mano a mano story as it was in the first season where it's like clear what the combatants are. It's much more of a, uh, it's more. It's more of a conspiracy story. It is more of a conspiracy story where the, where the pieces are moving, but they're no, no one's actually physically doing anything. It's just kind of arrangements that are being made between characters. Right. So I, I like that, and it, but it is obviously something that is much more difficult to pick up your first time through. And I would agree that I probably was just thinking that not a lot happens in the se- first yeah. half of the second season when actually quite a bit is happening. Yeah, they kind of they're really kind of settling you into the town. Um, in a way that I do think is fairly bold, honestly, because it is really counting on you to it. it it's counting on you to be able to care about and understand what's going on underneath this very uh, uh, dense dialogue. Yeah, that I think could be just could be a turnoff to a lot of people. Um, but again, if you're there for it. I think it's great. I think it works really well. Um, there, there are still some areas where I feel like they're pushing it a bit too far, uh, as far as the 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 style of the dialogue. Like, there's, I think it's the scene where the doc 
is trying to talk to Alma about her pregnancy. Yep. And and he's he's like if you should be one of the essence to want to come and visit me on the fortnight of this other time I'm like jeez dude just Yeah. If you could be of the propensity to come to, okay. <laughs> I, I, uh, I get what you're saying. I still love uh, the way that they talk to each other. I do too. I, I, I do like it, but I, you I have feel to like pay there attention. are some. It, yeah, it's it's very do. hard. You, you, you honestly have to pay attention. Yeah. yeah, you have to pay attention. And I do think that there are some places where it's like you, I, it feels less natural than other places. Like some places you can just, it feels like you can feel the hand of the writer yeah, yep. a bit more. Yep. Um, usually, as I had said previously, I, I felt like, with EB, you were starting to get a lot more of that, but uh, yep. I, I really like him in this episode. He's good in this one. <laughs> yeah, what's that doesn't have much to do, but he's good. What does EB do in this episode? I'm he just he has that one scene where he's oh practicing going, for yeah yeah coming up with he can't decide what uh, insult to use in reference to Richardson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's pr- practicing talking to Alma, and first he refers to Richardson as a as a, a dog walking on two hind his two hind legs. <laughs> <laughs> and then he he like looks over at him and he comes up with something else. I can't remember what the second one was. Yeah, but. yeah. <laughs> In the chambers of my heart beats a love for every crooked timber of this shitbox of a structure. This building. This building. It's warped floorboards and... Why, even in Richardson, my chef, my eyes see a beloved household pet somehow walking upright. See in Richardson, a half-witted child, nonetheless adored. Oh, Mrs. Garrett, the very subject of my thoughts. Yeah, that's right. He practices uh, his denial of sale to Alma there. Mm-hmm. Um, Richardson continue, uh, Richardson is kind of like a, a sort of like a gem of the series, really. Like yeah. the, the deep fans love weirdo. Richardson. He's such, he's such a weirdo, but he's he's so charming too at the same time, yeah. and mostly because he deals with a shithead like E.B. that you feel bad for him. But um, the actor is very funny too. He's, he's like perfect at portraying this sort of like not all there strange guy. Really, he's, yeah. he, when he drops the soup and he's like, I almost got all the soup. And he tells Alma, he's like, the only thing I have to do is pick up the rest of the soup. <laughs> <laughs> when they when they cut back to him towards the end of the episode and he's still got that antler she yeah. gave him, I yeah. was like, oh, geez, what, yeah. a, what a cutie. <laughs> <laughs> he's holding his antler and watching her from like behind a, a pile of boxes. On the other hand, there's that when uh, when she goes to talk to Trixie about the pregnancy thing and Trixie deduces it. And one of the reasons she deduces it is because she asked Richardson to walk with her. Yeah. Trixie's like, Oh, of course. So if you were to puke, people would assume it was because you were near that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how she, how uh, serious she actually is or if it's just a little bit of a metaphor, but it was a, it's a good, funny, good, funny point. I, the, the Trixie thing is, um, uh, what's what I what I noticed about the Trixie and Alma conversation and storyline, if you want to call it or that, is that it, it goes all the way back to the first season. Really, like they haven't the interaction between those two characters and the Doc is all based off of the difficulties and complications that they had talking to each other in the first season. Really, mm-hmm. so what struck me about it is that the the 
they, the show hasn't actually abandoned the characterization that those characters have with each other, which I thought right. was interesting in that I, I think like a lesser show almost would have had them move on and they would be fighting about something else at this point. And so it was kind of neat just to consider like, oh, yeah, like in the universe of the show, they haven't reconciled what they were arguing about a while ago. And they still, when they talk to each other, they still have those, you know, like Alma's responsible for the the fact that Trixie is stuck in this situation still because she didn't send her off at, at in the first season, you know, mm-hmm. in that, that whole sequence. And uh, Cochran being short with Alma is causing Alma to be uncomfortable going to the doc for advice about the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just thought it was kind of novel that not a lot has changed with those characters. But this is the episode where <clears throat> those complications are starting to turn into more of like a deeper friendship and Alma is ingratiating herself with those two, yeah. you know, through awkward sharing, a puff of your cigarette, madam, um, and stuff like <laughs> that. But they're, they're getting there. So how'd the other visitors visit go? I am as we thought. And? And he expects an uneventful course, though not without difficulties. I love how they fucking put it. Well, that's my formulation. Does formulation mean plan? My plan at the moment is to watch and wait. I couldn't help noticing, Trixie. You're occupied now at the hardware store. Yes, Oma, I am. I'm spending time at Bullock and Stars, learning to do accounts. I'm so delighted. Though I'm also fucking one of the owners. <laughs> well, I'm delighted by that as well. Yeah, I, I, I really like the scene with... Um doc and alma because i feel like a a a lesser show would have had them have that conversation about her uh not liking the way that he treated her when when he was helping her with her addiction and she would voice those things directly to him but they have her do it to trixie and they don't really dwell on it and so when you get that scene with the doc you get that really great thing that they're good at where it's the doc is talking around something else and they are trying to have a conversation without having a conversation. Yeah. And I, it's just so much more interesting to me. And it, it also feels more real too, right? Like that feels more, more honest where in real life in that situation, Alma would tell somebody else that she didn't like the way the doc talked to her, but she probably would keep it to herself. Yes. And then, you know, then the doc has to come in and has to try to give her advice without letting on that he knows that she's pregnant. You know, that, that shit happens all the time in real life. Yeah. No, it's a, um, Sarah Paulson had a kind of a, a quote about that in the Deadwood Bible. She says, I think so often in television and movies that the behest of certain people in those industries, um, such things are 
discourage, which we talked about before. They don't want complexity. That's what made yeah. the show stand out so much. There was never such a thing on Deadwood as a simple scene between two people. Even off on the page, it was seemingly a transactional moment. There was always so much more going on from a subterranean standpoint, which to me was always David's real strength as a writer. It was always wild to just be in a corset and use the word fuck or say something like no charge for the <laughs> pussy. Um, but it's it's that kind of a like what you're talking about in the doc conversation is that they it is more realistic in that he he does apologize but he does it in kind of a roundabout way to spare right. his right. feelings which feels very realistic and that no one has this sort of transactional like apology conversation that mm-hmm. it's usually couched in some other justification for yourself for for being there or why you did it or what you did wrong or something like that and that's what uh gives your Gives her the old internet apology. Sorry if what I did offended you, but... <laughs> I'm sorry if you misunderstood what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amy hates when I do that shit, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's rough. That's, that's tough not to feel like you want to slap the person. Listen, she, there's, there's the... Uh, what is it? There's the... Um, in that Gladwell book, he talks about the difference between uh, basically like Western cultures and Asian cultures, which is that in... Western cultures, the onus is on the listener to understand what is being said in a conversation. In Asian cultures, the onus is on the person who is explaining to explain it clearly. So mm. in the in the in Western in the Western culture, like if someone tells you something you don't understand, it's generally seen as this is my fault for not understanding what you're talking mm. about. Asian mm-hmm. cultures say the person explaining the story didn't explain it well enough to you. Um, right, yeah. And they, he ties it into a whole, that's why Asian airlines have the most accidents uh, oh. compared to the world because their culture relies on, I'm not going to challenge what this person said to me because it's it's my, or it's the other way around. It's, it's my fault for not understanding what this person has clearly said to me. I think I explained it wrong. So it's it's the other way around. Asian culture is much more, if someone says something to you it's your job to understand what they're saying to you. In the Western culture, there's much more of a, I don't understand, can you re-explain that? Because I don't oh, think I you see. were clear. Okay, yeah. Does All that right. make more sense? Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. So the Asian airlines have more uh, accidents, startlingly, and they think it's because co-pilots and underlings are less willing to challenge pilots or captains who are wrong in situations or they don't understand what they're being told to do. Wow. Um that's yeah okay, but that that comes down to that's what I, I just just to draw it back. That's what I always say to Amy is that we're we're operating on like I'm operating under you're operating under the Asian the Asian culture now, and I've got the uh, the Western thing going on, and it just it it's not a match made in heaven, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. Complications. Back to this one. I guess the only other thing to talk about in this is there she should just. She should, when she doesn't understand you, she should just pause and just say, you know, you've got a real yawning fucking mouth on you tonight, Wes. <laughs> when, you're, when you move your mouth, it looks like a cunt. You get that. And that's, <laughs> it's just talking wild bell quotes to each other. I think it's, it's everything that a marriage needs. Uh, fuck you, fuck your institution, and fuck the future. That's also something that I think married couples should say to each other. Great, great response too. You can't fuck the future; the future fucks you. Yeah, that's a uh, iconic quote of the series. I think that's always one that's that's quoted. Mm-hmm. Um, Jerry is funny. Jerry's Jerry's. I think this is a good Jerry episode. You get a good sense of what a like little shithead yeah. he is. Had you vision as well as sight, you would recognize within me not only a man but an institution and the future as well. Fuck you. 
Fuck the institution and fuck the future. You cannot fuck the future, sir. The future fucks you. Come out from that cage, you billiard ball looking cocksucker. I do not take orders from hooligans. Come out. Let's see if them cappers choose you to look at her turn of his fucking money. A chancy call. My progress, sir, were I to attempt to leave this cage, you would seal your fate as irrevocably as the tyrant crossing the Rubicon. Is he asking to suck my prick? Why don't you just explain your fucking statement, Commissioner? As far as us keeping title to our claims. I explain nothing under duress. Have you ever lived a day in your fucking life? Pitch, Commissioner. Burning up the top of your fucking head. Yeah, you know, he's another one who feels like he's not a double, but like in the same, he occupies kind of like a similar character type space as like Merrick. He's like Merrick's counterpoint. Oh, I'd say he's, he's the, EB. I'd say he's a more competent EB in some oh, ways. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I'm saying that because I've, I've only really, like the, they have this, he has the scene with Merrick and they, they seem like they've had more, Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. you know, interaction in that one moment where it's, uh, well, they especially because he talks about growing up around the printing press and stuff yeah, like and they that, they so both he, clearly revere the like trappings of society, like because yeah. he's very interested in that. It's like oh, it's Lawrence County, and like they, they share a sort of uh, glee of like the administrative aspects, I guess. Yeah. Like they like the yeah. nuts and bolts of it in that way. But he does now that you say that he is he is like a more successful EB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind he of actually like, became the, the mayor. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he, I think it's it's a it's a good episode for Jerry just because I think previously he had been portrayed as much more competent, I think, and like sort of like sure of himself in what he was mm. doing, and he was doing that because he had Hearst's backing, so he knew that people like Adams couldn't threaten him effectively. That scene mm-hmm. previously where Adams confronts him in the street and he says, "You will let me pass" or something like that, and he does because he knows that he can't be touched. Um, well, I think it. I think it continues into this episode because he still has that confidence. He does, but yeah. it's it's the confidence of someone who's also an idiot, you know. Because he fucks up the new <laughs> the newspaper thing was a fuck up on his. Ends. Right, he shouldn't yeah. have done that. Yeah. It, the the energy of that scene reminded me so much of. Uh, I don't think I've. Uh, forgive me if I've t- told the story. I definitely haven't told on this podcast. So clean slate. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> but uh, when I was one year when I was. In between, in between uh, semesters in college, in the summer, I worked as a janitor at an elementary school, and they had a new, uh, new principal come in, and he basically came in and was like, "I need to show everybody that all my decisions are correct," mm-hmm. and he was like going through shit and throwing stuff out, and my boss was like, "I don't know what the hell this guy's doing. He's not, he doesn't know what any of this stuff is," and he found this <laughs> laptop in a locked, a locked cabinet. Yeah. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to put this laptop in the break room. And granted, this is the summer. There's nobody fucking there. There's right. no reason why there needs to be a laptop in the break room. Yeah. And uh, But he just thought it, was, it would be a great idea to put this laptop that he uh, did not belong to him, did not know what was on it, and was in a locked cabinet yeah. uh, in this break room because it was his way or the highway. Um the the school was also having work done on it, so all the doors were open for weeks at a time. And uh, the same day he put that laptop in the break room, that laptop got stolen. Yeah, Hunter Biden and... was never never as upset as that day. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And I felt terrible because I had left and my boss called me and she's like sobbing mm-hmm. because he's taking it out on her. And I'm like, you're this fucking asshole. Just put this thing that he didn't know what the hell it was because he's the the king shit in charge and somebody yep. stole it. Now he looks like an idiot. Yep. And it ended up having like files on it that the, uh, the uh, secretaries had gotten from like a, a class that they had taken the previous year that they needed and yeah. it was just like this big stupid fiasco because this dumbass thought he was uh thought he was king of the mountain yep yeah no it's uh nothing will backfire more than supreme confidence i think or something like yeah. that you, seriously that's the Jerry, Ask general so. custer that's right yeah it was custer's mentioned in this one yes he is, he is. yeah he's brought up yes because jane has uh an extended sequence with uh the newest characters that we met we knew we know so this is um Racism makes this entry to yeah Deadwood. really uh really making up for those first season and a half of <laughs> of no of, of no, no n words <laughs> yeah so we have a Hostetler who you probably remember from the first season he sold Seth Bullock his land for his house yes yep he also runs the livery um, and then we're introduced to a character who has apparently been there and has an interaction with another character who's supposedly been there so Steve the drunk is the one that's arguing with Tolliver in the scenes about Jerry and the posting mm-hmm. of the mitigation and stuff like that. And so uh, Steve the Drunk and Samuel Fields, who calls himself the nigger general, who's based on a real character, apparently. Like the, uh, Samuel Fields is like a real Deadwood historical figure. Oh, really? Okay. Who had the same uh, nickname and everything like that. He was sort of, <laughs> and seems to be the same person, basically, like kind of a uh, larger-than-life character who... Um, sort of like embraced the racism against him in a weird way and made him like endearing to the town. Um, and he oh, has, sure. Yeah. Okay. And so he, he sort of had a, yeah, for better, or for worse, I guess, but he, yeah. everything yeah. in the history book is written about him as though he was like relatively like a very successful person in the town, a little bit different from the way he's portrayed here. Uh, but th- those two have a sequence where they're introduced. Um, the general has come back. He's been, apparently been away for weeks um, with one of Hostetler's horses. And he, he owes him a lot of money, but he's come back. He has a wad of cash that he seems to have gotten from somewhere, but it seems like he's lying about the source of it, being a San Francisco mm-hmm. millionaire or something. And he hangs out with Jane for much of the episode, and they discuss... Um, <laughs> they sort of bond over the, over, over their both uh, like indifference to uh, seeing each other as different. Um, yeah. So their their conversation revolves around using slurs and stuff like that and bonding around it. And then the other thing that happens is that um, the Sammy Fields, the general, is attacked by the mob that takes out its anger on him because they can't get to Jerry. Hostetler, it's the nigger general Fields. You used to have this horse one week. Old Nugget here is sound and spoiled. He's been living on peppermints and apples in the private stables of a San Francisco dry goods bitch shop. Making you owe him 17 weeks additional. Yeah, I was delivering emerald earrings to Mrs. Big Shot. And a diamond bracelet and matching choker to Mr. Big Shot's mistress. That was the one thing that I couldn't track. I don't know if I missed it. Or something. Why do they go after him? Uh, is that because I couldn't remember there being anything directly where those those two groups cross paths or or fields wronged that guy that he would. So there, 
there isn't. turn on him. It seems to be so. The, so uh, you were talking about how Milch, uh, the Paulson and Silas Adams things feels like it's kind of slammed in. This mm-hmm. one feels like a little bit more of an obvious situation where it was slammed into me. So th- yeah. these two are set up as if they've been in the camp forever and that they have a backstory, but they haven't. And uh, Sammy Fields is clearly nervous around the mob, and it's unclear to me whether it's because he knows Steve and stuff like that or if he is just aware enough of the fact that as a black man he shouldn't be somewhere where there's a rowdy white mob going around. Sure, yeah. And so I don't know if he's running away because of that, but the, the reason that they chase him is because the mob is trying to get Jerry out of Bullock's prison cell. And so their plan is that they're going to go get, uh, they're going to pull the nigger general out of his hiding and sort of like act as if they're going to lynch him, which will cause Bullock to go out. And then they can get Jerry out of the police cell or the, mm-hmm. the cell. And they abandon that when someone says like, what if Bullock comes out like shooting or something like that? Mm-hmm. And so then they're like, well, well, then we're just going to go after the general instead. So they kind of abandon it. It becomes just kind of a racist lynching to get their anger out at that point. The, on- okay. the right. only thing that the thing that's most missable from that sequence, I think, is that um, what I like about this episode is that Swearingen has a line when he's talking to Bullock about the Yankton plot. He says, Do they, don't they understand that most of what happens is people being drunk and stupid and trying to find something else to blame besides that makes their lives totally fucked? And he's talking about Yankton. Um, and how it's all coming together uh, around there. But it also, what he's talking about, ties into the racism plot that's going on here, which is that as they're uh, preparing to tar the general, in like extremely throwaway dialogue, you learn that Steve is uh, in Deadwood because he's looking for a fortune after he was drafted into the Civil War on the side of the Union, and the drafting took him away from his family. And in the meantime that he was drafted and fighting in the war, his brother took over their successful confectionery business, right? I missed all of yeah, this. Yeah, so he says that as they're, <laughs> ab- as they're about to tar um, the general. How'd I wrong you choice, gentlemen? You want to start with me getting drafted? So my cousin got the fucking confectionery? <laughs> and that's why you... Going to vulcanize me? Shut your fucking mouth! Your cousin, Trapeze, allows you to come here to strike you rich. I ain't that so sir! Get in the fuck up! Get in the fuck up! You stole my look at riches! You and your fucking monkey cousin! So the thing that they're pointing at there is that, like, Steve is too drunk and stupid to realize that, like, this guy is not the source of his problem and he's taking it out on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. But they're also doing this sort of clever thing. That, like Steve is probably one of the most reprehensible characters in the show. Like he continues to exist in the show and there's more episodes coming up with him. But his, he has a, like a, a horrible logic to what he's doing at the same time, which is that he, his story ties in in that the business of his family is taken away because he was drafted to sort of free the slaves in the way that he says it uh, for the Union side to end the Civil War. So that cost him a fortune. He's mm-hmm. come out here to Deadwood, and now the government has followed him out here to take his gold claim that he has from him. Ah, sure. Right? So 
he feels he's just being chased and pursued and Milch is tying in a racist storyline as a way to like show that at least in his opinion, some form of racism is just kind of like a frustration of people who should be paying attention to other things and are taking out their anger on the easiest target that's around them. Um, That's the way I see it anyway. And honestly, this is the first time watching this show, the four times, whatever I've seen it, that I picked up any of this is what's going on with Steve. So it's extremely under his, not under his breath, but it's, it's mixed into like a scene where there's a lot of shit going on on the screen and people are yelling and there's gunfire and stuff like that. So it's hard to track. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought um, that one of the scenes I thought was really interesting was the f- the f- scene where Fields tries to buy the, the bottle off of Jane and, the, you know, it starts that, you know, throwing their slurs back and forth and whatnot. Yep. Because um, it tells you a lot about what the town thinks of Jane if they think of her at all, because the way that he's positioning himself and interacting with her is clearly because he doesn't want to get caught talking to a white woman yep and then to see that that ends up with him sitting on the bench sharing this bottle with her it really kind of shows that they don't really the town doesn't really consider her a what like if he had done that to alma Alma, or yeah yeah or uh joni or something they probably would have lynched him a lot earlier in the episode yes yeah. No, it's pretty, a, it, pretty interesting. It's a good point. And it's also, it also, the other side of the coin is that it shows that Jane doesn't really give a shit about. Right. Yeah. That uh, too. Yeah. Sort of like the mores of the, the time and stuff like that. Uh, because she sits with him and they, obviously, they bond. She's the one that's peeling the tar off of him at the right, end. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, just to link it to Star Trek, they say vulcanized. <laughs> so we have to do that. I thought his ears looked pointy right after that. You know, it's this Take show's just so it's so weird the way that they handle some of the writing in this show because you, that whole backstory that you just explained is something where if like you are not paying attention is going to go right. I mean, you've you've watched it four times and you just yeah. picked it up this time. Yeah. At the same time, this character just appears and is talking about stuff that we don't have any frame of reference for, but other people seem to, but they're not telling us how, what their frame of reference is. And then ha- ha- towards the end, Charlie shows up and Charlie clearly knows who this guy is. Yes. Yeah. That, that's, but, that's my, that's, that was, yeah, that's my point about what I, I thought was the biggest issue is that they, I, I don't even really understand why you need to have him be a character who's existed in the town. You know what right, I mean? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it just feels it feels strange because of you're so conditioned when you're watching shows to be introduced to characters and told about characters in their relationships. Yeah. It's it's very unusual to just essentially get dropped into the middle of this person's existence with really they're not really helping you at all. Yeah, I, I that's kind of what I I'm finding interesting about my love of the show as we're watching and doing this podcast because Particularly since we do a, our other, like the other big show that me and you do is like the Star Trek one, right? And, and Star Trek's a formula and our talking about it is, the podcast itself has almost become a formula because there's like, there's sort of like, there there are things we expect from a Star Trek episode, Mm -hmm. kind of. Mm -hmm. And to compare it to Deadwood, like, if stuff like this was happening in the Star Trek episode, it's a bigger problem for me than it is on a Deadwood show. Yeah. And I feel like that's fair. I don't feel like it's being an unfair criticism. 
I, I, I just find Deadwood to be written in much more of like, it's much more of like a, like a free jazz style where it's like, sure, I don't really sure. hold it against the show that not every plot line was planned right from the beginning and that they awkwardly oh, insert no, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not saying that you do either, but it's weird that in the context of other shows, if a character came in to like halfway through a season of Star Trek and was not introduced and everyone was acting as if they had known who this character was the entire time, right. it would be a weird problem, <laughs> you know? Like- that episode of The Simpsons where they introduce Poochie and they, they keep talking about how weird it is to just add a character and yeah. through the episode they <laughs> have this character guy. Roy, yeah. Yeah, Roy who just keeps showing up and everybody knows who Roy is and he's this cool guy in the background and at the end of the episode he just leaves and never comes back. <laughs> it's the same thing. Obviously yeah, The Simpsons it, makes a joke there but it's it, – I just find it – um, you know, and maybe people listening to it, I guess I'm just bringing it up or like – or. There might be an accusation that I hold the shows to different standards, and I guess that's true because I'm much more willing to forgive Deadwood because I think what it does with the insertions is much more like beautiful than what Star Trek can, could do in that situation. Mm-hmm. And just the writing and the way that they talk, I'm much more willing to give like to, to just say like, sure, this uh, Samuel Fields character has been here the entire time, yeah. and Steve knows him, and that's it. Yeah, I think I think what what gives them the runway to do this is the fact that of the setting of the town mm. where it is it's it can be a very transient place and there are a lot of people who live in this town who are n- not characters that whose names are in the opening credits. And like you you don't if you want to just kind of click over and pick up one of these characters in the middle of their life, that's kind of the way it feels Yeah. where, but it's, it takes a little bit to get used to because you're so preconditioned to, okay, this new Samuel Fields character has shown up. What does he have to do with the larger picture? What are we going to learn about this guy? And then it's just like, no, they just drop you into the middle of his relationship with five other guys. One of whom is another guy we've never seen before. Yeah. And you just have to kind of like figure it out. And I think it's I think it's challenging. It, it, you have to kind of uh, decondition yourself a bit. And I mean, you know, I'm sure there's people listening to this going like, "You guys are just blowing this show." This mm-hmm. none of the, what you're saying is true. It, it's just poorly written. But, <laughs> but I think it's I think it's 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 fairly unique in that way. It reminds me a bit of one of my favorite um, one of my favorite movie openings of all time is uh michael mann's miami vice yeah because they have a director's cut that is this long it's got a boat chase and this other bullshit and then everything kind of gets going but the opening of the theatrical version of the movie is the universal logo comes up and then they hit you with that jay-z lincoln park song and they drop you right into the middle of of a operation that crockett and tubs are running yeah and they do not give you any exposition they are you're just following them as they go through this thing and you just have to keep up basically for the rest of the movie right and it's i always found that so exhilarating and different because he's not he's not not giving you the the information you need he's just not giving you he's not spoon feeding it to you in a way that a lot of other things do yeah and i i think that i would also saul is in that movie for a hot second oh there you go yeah, yeah, he's so he's he been kind of laying around in, in this season. He probably had free time during the season. <laughs> <laughs> just hasn't had much to do. He's had Trixie working on his columns. Um, <laughs> yeah, I and I think that without being any spoilers, like the um, the black character storyline does not tie into 
the larger plot. You know, like mm-hmm. it's it's more of a it's like a tangential strand of story that's running along the side. And I think that that's something that the show pulls off to varying degrees of success about whether or not, like sometimes that can work and it can feel just like it's a part of a piece. And other times I think you'll run into one in the third season. It'll be like, why was this done in the first place? And um, this one I feel fits. Like I, just in this episode alone, I think that the way that they string together the the sort of like um, elegance that they strung together, Fields knowing Steve, why Steve hates him, why Steve is upset about this Walcott plot that's happening, how Swearingen has to stop this from happening and how Bullock has to stop it from happening. Bullock's sense of the law being like his defense of a black man so vigorously turns heads when it happens because they're mm-hmm. like, why, the, why, why are you acting this way? Disperse this riotous assembly. Let go of the nigger gentleman. That monkey just motherfucked me. I'll motherfuck you and blow your head off. Steve thinks he can do whatever because he says that uh, Sammy Fields motherfucked him and he says, I'll motherfuck <laughs> you and I'll blow your fucking head off. Yes. And yeah. that causes everyone to go like, uh, he's a black man, you know, like you don't, mm. it doesn't have to happen that way. But, you know, I, I just think that everything, everything connects so elegantly in this episode in a way that totally makes sense for all the characters and how they've been spinning around each other. And even the characters that have just been introduced and how they interact with each other and how they're motivating themselves into what their plots are here for like Steve and the Walcott thing and everything like that. I, I, I think it works really well, but it only works in a sense that, it's this free jazz composition that when they see how the notes have to put together, they do it very effectively. And yeah. it, it results in the yeah. episode being w- well done. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, any other plots? or uh, Hosteller, I guess the other uh, aspect of this is that Hosteller betrays uh, the general and gives right. up his position. Um, mm-hmm. he, he tries to bury him, but is threatened by Steve and his mob, and then he gives him up. Uh, but the episode ends with... Um, the general just saying that, like, he hopes Hostetler doesn't hold it. He doesn't hopes hopes that Hostetler knows that he doesn't hold it against him, and he would have sold him out faster uh, than he did uh, to him. You know, you know what I would like <clears throat> if somebody out there happens to know. Is there a is there one definition <clears throat> of what tarring and feathering is like? Because I feel like in popular fiction or whatever. It swings wildly from something that is fairly benign and humiliating <laughs> to something that is uh, fatal. So I'm not really sure what, where the, is like, was it, was it a, uh, was it like this where they pour boiling hot tar on you or yeah. was it more like they cover you in molasses? I think it, I think it's as dangerous as it can get without being fatal. Like it, it's not, yeah. I think it's portrayed in pop culture as being kind of like, it's more of a humiliation than anything. Like you've got yeah. feathers stuck to you now, but yeah, it's mostly the feathers, less so the tar, <laughs> less so the tar but <laughs> I think it's more along the lines of the game of Thrones season where they pour the crown on that oh, guy's Jesus. head. Yeah. Um, and so it, it definitely takes off skin and hurts like fuck to get rid of. So I think it's more about the sort of torture aspect of it than anything else. I mean, that's, I assume that that's true because everything is like that in history. It's usually way more horrible than you think it is. Yeah, it's not it's not the the funny 
Oh, you can see her eyes beneath the feathers. He looks like a giant right. chicken. Yeah. <laughs> if only, though, right? It would have been, yeah, like being broken on the wheel would have a much more nice connotation than I think yeah. it actually did. You know, I've always thought if I had to be tortured on a medieval device, I feel like I could do the rack. You know, get a good stretch in. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like it's not that bad. <laughs> I crack my knuckles. I imagine it's yeah. exactly the same, the same thing. Yeah, there's not many. Um, I guess the rack... I mean, really, just you, you hope they hang you, basically, is the, yeah. the thing. But I was always, I was equally as confused if we're going to go back in time into uh, torture devices. Mm-hmm. Being drawn and quartered. Yeah. I always thought that that, for a long time, I thought that that meant that you were, uh, each limb was tied to a horse and then they tore you, tore you apart. Right. Is that not what it is? Well, that's what, I think, that's is what being like drawn a, is. Being drawn is that's like, what being they, drawn is? yeah, they pull your, okay. like, so you're, you're probably your joints dislocate and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then they cut you down, and then they cut you into pieces, which is the quartering aspect. Of oh, okay. Because I, because I thought, because then I saw Braveheart, and I he, thought, yeah, oh, he's also that was he yeah. being drawn and quartered. Yes, and then he's he just like having his guts ripped out. <laughs> I think it's the Braveheart one is just tough because the drawing doesn't look particularly painful in Braveheart. It looks like they're just kind of pulling on his legs a little bit as he's hanging. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. He just kind of passes out. A little yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. And uh, man, people are fucked up. Like, why? What? They came up with some. They had nothing. Yeah. They, had, they had nothing else to look at. They didn't have Seriously. internet porn or anything. Literally, <laughs> literally nothing else to do. <laughs> Just come up with a what if? Ways. What if? Hmm, uh, stay with me here for a second. What if we? <laughs> What if we cut him open just beneath his belly button and pull his balls out from the inside? <laughs> Jonas, Brilliant. do you know what this horse could do besides plow fields? It could, it could pull a man's leg clean Imagine off. if we had four of them attached to each of my ex-wife's limbs. Is, is that anything? Could we do anything with that? Yeah. That's, but she's a witch, of course. That's pretty much it. And what's that... Um. Is that Japanese movie with Liam Neeson, I think, where he plays a Christian missionary who goes to Japan. Do you know that movie? It was like a Scorsese movie. Oh, Silence, I think it's called. Is it Silence? Maybe. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, more or less what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see it. I heard it's very good. Though. It is that one. Yeah, I, I have not seen it either. But they have a weird torture. What's their What's their torture? Um, steps on... Uh, tortured. I want to see, is. honestly, and I want to see. Shuri. What is that? So the victim is, it's a torture technique used in the 17th century to force Christians to recant their faith. The victim is hung head down by the feet. Um, one of the victim's hands would be held tight with a rope and the other would be left free that he could signal his willingness to recant. Uh, so what is the, the, let's see here. The body was often lowered into a hole, itself filled with excrement at the bottom. Typically, a cut would be made in the forehead around the temples to let blood pressure decrease around the head. The aim was to break their resolve to renounce their faith and eventually die. So they just, they hang you upside down, they hang you upside, upside down until basically the blood pressure makes you like, feel like you're dying. So. Oh, that's lovely. And then they. (laughs) Then they just cut your head. Wait, 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 hold on. I think we're on the right track here, but (laughs) hear me out. What if we. Do everything that you just said, but we do it. We hang them over a giant pile of shit. Brilliant. Very good. Very good. Uh, you always come up with the capper. It's all, you always figure it out, how to put it over the top. That's why we keep you around. Daisuke, always coming, always coming in with the shit piles. <laughs> this time it paid off. 
man. <laughs> but, you know, I would like to see one of these movies. Like, you know, you watch Braveheart. Every, every battle scene in Braveheart is like, limbs getting cut off yeah. and heads flying everywhere and then they get to the end and it's like well we can't show that we can't show what they actually do to this guy <laughs> so just show i want to know what it looks like just give it to me once show me what it looks like mm-hmm. agreed yeah i mean you and amanda can cover torture porn uh the best torture porn films on, yeah, Tomatoes guess, on the yeah. patreon Ugh, I, no I guess i guess we're done with complications um Previously known as difficulties. Any plots that I missed that we feel is necessary? Probably not. Not that I can think of. No. Richardson's crush. Yeah. You're pretty. He's growing an alma. That's probably <laughs> every all. Time, every time they cut to him now, they should play the. Uh, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> it's not the no, last of his uh, deer antler. He, he holds on to the, the deer antler. True. Yeah, that's very, very funny. Um. No, I think we I think we talked about it. Uh, almost pregnant, obviously. Uh, she can't talk to Seth about it, but the, they haven't really done anything, so there's not much else to say. The Vikings show. I give that one a lot of credit because the Vikings used to do this thing called a blood eagle, mm. which to hear it described is very strange. Yeah. And then they do it on the show, even though it's a show it was on like AMC or some shit. They just show you what it is. Nice. It's, it was, and they uh, um, what they do is they cut you open from the back. Yep. And then they crack through your ribs. Yep. And then pull your lungs out <laughs> and flap them over your shoulders like wings. <laughs> That's more like a frat prank than it is. A, <laughs> a t- <laughs> That's what you do to someone who passes out at, at <laughs> one o'clock in the morning at a frat. Did you blood eagle him? Yeah. <laughs> finish, finish the job. Draw the dick on his face. High, high fives all around. I guess that's it. Complications. If you guys enjoyed the content of something pretty, which is this it podcast. Does, it does feel like getting blood eagled is like you wake up and there's like a set of <laughs> testicles on your eyes or something. You can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file to support us and all shows that we do over there. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. You can rate the show on Apple and iTunes and Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. If, the, if it is something you can easily do, that's kind of appreciated too. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we go? Yeah, check out Rotten Horror Picture Show, Patreon, covering video nasties. No one's been blood-eagled on that show yet, but we're nope. hopefully pretty close. We will be getting to uh, a, a movie where a zombie fights a shark and a woman gets a jagged piece of wood through her eye, so that's fun. Nice. Um, Don't get a splinter. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, I also, uh, the first issue of Generation Joker, which I wrote with uh, Sean Murphy and Katana Collins, is out right now. If you like Batman-related comic books. Mm-hmm. Check that out, and we talk about it a bit when it comes up on the Badass Podcast. So check that out, too. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. Hope you're enjoying it. We're almost halfway through season two. I'm enjoying season two so far. I liked this episode. We don't rate them, but I've been um, we've been on a string of episodes that I've enjoyed quite a bit. Um, and we come to the next one, which is called Something Very Expensive. We'll get to that in the near future. And never forget that the future fucks you. See ya. You know how, Stedler? Runs delivery. Taller than me. I know him. I'd be glad if you heard I'd have done just what he did. Only quicker. I guess he'll understand that if I don't. He'll understand. I tell him myself, so I'm keeping indoors tonight. Here comes some more pain. 